Our text for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I like you guys over here too, so I'll come a little closer. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Paul writes to the church, I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I appeal to you then, be imitators of me. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus as I teach them everywhere in every church. But some of you, thinking that I am not coming to you, have become arrogant. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. What would you prefer? Am I to come to you with a stick or with love in the spirit of gentleness? This is God's word to us this morning, strangely enough. Let's say thanks be to God. We thank you, God, for this, uh, this amazing text. For the kingdom of God depends not on talk, but on power. The Apostle Paul is giving us a lesson about power, about authority, and the nature of true authority, where it comes from, why it matters, and how we as the church are to live into it. Now, everything I've learned about power, everything I've learned about authority, I learned coaching AYSO U6 soccer. When I was a young dad, five-year-old son, got to do the right thing, sign him up for soccer. When you sign him up for soccer, that's when you find out that you didn't just sign him up for soccer because this is a volunteer organization and this thing just doesn't work unless you all volunteer. And so what we really need now is a coach. I played a half a season of soccer when I was a kid. I am definitely 100% not the person who is supposed to be the coach. And yet, as is often the case in life, it's not so much who steps forward, but all the other people who step backward. And so, in that vacuum of silence that was everybody else's non-commitment to, to do this, I did what I often do. I said, oh, I, I'll try. And they said, fantastic, you're the coach, here's a whistle. Right? You're the coach, here's a whistle. And that, my friends, is the first form there are four forms of power, four forms of authority, and it doesn't matter if you're walking the halls of Congress or you're walking the halls of your high school. These are the four forms of power that exist in the universe, 
And the first one comes according to position. It's positional power. It's the title. You're the coach. You're the coach because you have the whistle. And a lot of people operate out of that place of power, don't they? I'm the boss. I said so. I'm the mommy. I said so. That's just kind of how it's, there it is. You get the title, right? But that wasn't enough for me because like I told you, I didn't know much about soccer. And I really was kind of new to this whole hanging out with five-year-olds thing too, to be quite frank about it. So I needed some help. And so of course, AYSO is a great volunteer organization and they have extraordinary training. And they said, don't worry, we'll teach you everything you need to know. And sure enough, they did. They sent, we, we did clinics and they said, this is how you run a practice and here's the rule book because when you're doing U6, you're not just the coach, you're also the referee. And so I had to learn all the rules-ish. And I had to learn how to run a good practice so that these five-year-old kids would enjoy that. So that's the second level of authority. It's educational. You get the title. Here's a whistle. And then you go get the training. Now you know. You know more than everybody else. Again, ish. Right? That's education. That's the second form of power and authority. The third comes when you start doing the practices. The third is relational. Relational authority, and that's the place where you put in the time with people. That's the time when I put in the time with the kids. I, I did the practices. I, I gathered them together, and I, I, I let them come up with a name for the team. We were the Rockets Tigers. <laughs> I, I ran the practices. I made sure that snack was organized. Handed out the trophies at the end. Did all that stuff. That's the relational authority. And, and you're, you're following along, right? You're picking up that having the whistle, eh, it's okay, I guess. Knowing the rule book, that's fine, but the relational part, right? The relational part is that's where, that's where the power and the authority gets translated into something really meaningful for the kids. Now, these are the types of authority with which we are all very, very familiar, but there is a fourth kind of authority. It is the greatest type of authority there is. It is the authority that the Apostle Paul is very concerned about with respect to the church, which is why he's now, he's stepped into it now. Chapter 4, he's naming it. My concern for you guys as a church is there's a whole lot of puffed up people, he says in verse 6. There's some puffed up people there's some arrogant folks, and they think that I came and I founded this church, and I loved into you, I poured into you, I taught you everything I knew, I stepped away, and now these arrogant people are, think that they're going to call the shots. And he says, that's not okay for me, because there's a fourth type of authority that is the most important type of authority, and this is the authority that you need to live into, church. Do you know what it is? It's spiritual authority. And there's only one source for spiritual authority. Do you know what it is? What is it? It's God. Okay. That's a good... Yeah. The words of the Bible. Okay. Yeah. See, words of the Bible, here, now, good Protestants, here's where I'm challenging you. Here's where I'm challenging you. 
we Protestants, we are awesome at Bible study. We know the book. But what's knowing the book? That's educational authority. It doesn't get us there. That's what Paul's, that's what Paul's driving at. It doesn't get us where we want to go. And where do we want to go, church? We want to go into spiritual authority, don't we? We want to live in a way that impacts our world for good forever. Can I get an amen? You, you ready? You ready for it? The only place you get spiritual authority is suffering. Ah, good. Now I've got your attention. That's the only source of it. The only source of spiritual authority is suffering. Now, you may not think that there is any suffering in U6 soccer. Kind of like there's no crying in baseball. But think again, there's both crying and there's lots of suffering. As a coach, my ego died a little bit. Every time I would work and work to get these kids, you know, thinking about soccer and, and playing well as a team, only to see the entire game dissolve because somebody found some ladybugs. <laughs> and we just had to go check out the ladybugs. That was way, way more important than the, the soccer ball all of a sudden, right? You're just, there's, just, there's, just, there's just dying that happens in that when you're a coach. And, it, and if you are a person with any level of empathy, you can go to one knee and you can give that little boy a hug when suddenly you realize that he, not only does he not know where the game is going, he's just overwhelmed by this experience and just in the middle of the soccer field just starts to break down and cry. It's just, this is just too much. This is too much. Spiritual authority comes when we, when we meet that person, when they, when they stay, life is just too much. You go, okay, I'm just going to be with you in that. I'm not going to try and coach you out of it. I'm not going to try and solve it. I'm not going to teach you the rule book. I'm not going to blow my whistle at you, for heaven's sakes. I'm just going to be with you in this, right? You following? But the worst part of the suffering, the hardest part of the U6 suffering experience is when you have those parents. Those one or two parents, and it's only just one or two. It doesn't, it's not everybody. It's never everybody. It's just one or two of them who go through this sort of Jekyll and Hyde transformation on the sideline as soon as that first game starts. These are the parents who were all too keen to drop their kids off for practice and then take off to target. These were the parents who were drop and dash all through the, the beginning practices of the season, but now that this first game starts, they are soccer experts. And they are treating this Saturday morning in the park like it's the World Cup Finals. And they're screaming and they're yelling and they're judging and they're criticizing and, they're, and, and, and all that noise and, and crazy is threatening to destroy this beautiful experience for everybody else, and especially for the kids. They I'm sorry to say, are very much like the arrogant people that Paul alludes to in our texts today. And instead of keeping with the model of leadership that Paul has given to them, the community is at risk 
because of a few puffed up people of being irreparably damaged such that they are no longer able to be what Christ intends for the church to be. The source and expression and model of spiritual authority in the world. Now, it feels right and appropriate to me that I should point out that Paul had all four forms of, of, this, of authority working for him. He had the positional authority. At the very beginning of the letter, he says that he has been called by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's his position. And then he goes further to say, you, church, you have a position. You have been called as God's own holy people, positional authority. Church, you've been handed the whistle too. This is who you're called to be. Paul had educational authority. Not only was he well-educated in Judaism by the famous rabbi Gamaliel, according to Acts 22, but then he has an encounter with the teacher himself, the master, Jesus, on the road to Damascus. And he has that transformative experience in which he meets Jesus, the one who he has been opposed to, confronting, and attacking for, for such a long time now. And in this moment, he does a 180. And in the short time that he spends with the disciples in Damascus, his, all of the teaching, the fullness of his entire educational experience gets flipped on its head. And everything he's understood about Judaism gets reoriented. He's taken all that learning, all that education, and he sees it in a whole new way. And as a result, he began at once, the book of Acts says, to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He had that, the best education you can have. He got it right directly from Jesus himself. You see in this text, do you not, how Paul speaks to the relational authority that he has in their lives. He says, I have so invested myself in your lives, you've got lots of guardians. You've got lots of nannies. You'll have lots of people come and teach you the Bible. You've got lots of people who come and lead Bible study for you. You've got lots of people who come and, and, and pastor you. You've got lots of people who come and lead worship for you. You've got lots of those, but I'm, your only, I'm the only one who's been like a spiritual father to you. That's the job God gave me. I'm the only one who's doing that. I have the relational credibility with you. I'm not calling you up to shame you. I am not coming to you. I hope you picked up the tongue-in-cheek sound he makes, right? He's like, he's not actually mad. He's just like, do you really want me to come with a stick? As if we think he's going to beat these people with sticks, right? He's kind of trying to play with them a little bit. It's like, honestly, are you kidding me? I'm your spiritual father. I gave you everything I had. And yet you're going to listen to a few puffed-up people who are screaming and fussing and, and acting badly on the sidelines? I've got the relationship, and I'm appealing to you. I'm not, he writes right at the beginning, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to remind you. And if you're not going to listen to me from a distance, I'm sending you Timothy, because he'll remind you. Because everything I taught you, everything I showed you, everything I've modeled to you about following Christ, I do it everywhere. It's, this is me all day long. I'm the same guy at the same church, you know, every church, same person. This is just me doing it, and this relationship matters. But then, friends, he reminds them of his spiritual authority. He reminds them that he has gone to the school of suffering. And right before the text I read to you, this is what Paul says. He says, I sometimes think 
God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools. Even now we go hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everyone's trash, right up to the present moment. I think this is a really hard text for us to hear because we are inclined from our vantage point to think that Paul is playing the victim or that he's trying to gain sympathy points or he's trying to guilt the church into behaving differently. But I don't believe that's the point that Paul's trying to make. I believe what the point he's trying to make is that this is the source of his spiritual authority. I did what God asked me to do. And this is the result, and that's just how it is. But I'm doing it because this is what God's called me to do. Now, church, what's God calling you to do? The source of spiritual authority is suffering. And that is so incredibly counterintuitive to us, isn't it? And at a time in American culture when, in much the same way as we've already seen in Europe, the authority of the church, the influence of the institution that is the church continues to be diminished and wane, it is incredibly tempting, isn't it, for us to want to double down on the first three forms of authority to stamp our foot and say, you should listen to us because God gave us the whistle. We're the church. Or because we're really right about the Bible, and the, the Bible is true, and we're right about the Bible, and so you should listen to us because we know what the Bible says. Or because relationally we want to keep working, each, working people and saying, you know, if you love your grandma, you'll go to church like she asks you to. Right? We, we keep working these forms of authority when what God, I believe, is really inviting us to do is to surrender these three forms, which as important as they are, are, as Paul points out, lesser. It's the spiritual authority that matters. And spiritual authority comes when we accept the pain that comes into our lives and embrace it. When we resist that powerful temptation to anesthetize ourselves from pain, to turn from it, to distract ourselves, to do anything and everything we can to avoid it. When we turn into the pain, when we turn toward the cross, when we embrace the, the model of Jesus, that's what Paul is saying, right? Imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. He describes himself in terms exactly like Christ described himself as despised, hated, a no home, rejected. I'm just following Jesus. This is the path. And we resist it with everything inside of us, don't we? Why wouldn't we? Pain is no fun. 
A friend came up to me a few years ago, probably about three now, looked me in the eye, and because this is a friend, friend tells the truth. The friend looked at me and said, I know you don't want to hear this, but the truth is, you're a much better preacher now that you're divorced. And he was right. There are things I know. There are things I understand that I never would have understood otherwise. And you know that. If you've lost someone, if you've had to go through the humiliation of getting fired from a job, if you've had to go through a life-threatening disease, any and every bit of pain that you have gone through, you know enables you to actually connect to the pain of others. And I am embarrassed to think about the sermons I must have preached about pain and suffering and compassion and love before my divorce that, that I know were really speaking out of my first three forms of authority because I'm the pastor, because I went to seminary, because I'm your friend, but I understand things that I don't, didn't understand before. And I wouldn't w- wish, and I've said it many times, I wouldn't wish divorce on my worst enemy. But as I've also said to you in the past, don't go looking for suffering. It'll find you. You don't need to go looking for it. That's not Paul's point. It's not go, it's not go and get yourself into trouble. It's not go get yourself hurt. It's just accept that suffering is life. It will come to you. The Buddhists understood this, didn't they? This is what the Buddhists teach. We, we want to kind of gloss it. As if the cross hanging in the middle of our sanctuaries doesn't remind us of this every time we walk in the room. At the heart of this human experience is the reality of suffering and what the cross teaches us every single time we look upon it is God can take the worst thing that ever happened to us and make it the best thing. God can take the most awful thing that ever happened in the universe and make it the greatest thing that ever was. And if he can do that with Christ dying on the cross for us, he's showing us the way about how he intends to do it for you. That is the nature of true true spiritual authority. And nobody had ever seen anybody live this out the way Paul did. As Tom Wright puts it, nobody had seen someone giving himself generously Living a life of self-sacrifice, refusing to play the power games and the prestige games that were the stock and trade, not only of the sophistic teachers who came and went, and who, by the way, made a lot of money, but of also the local leaders, the magistrates, the civic dignitaries, and those who promoted and ran the new imperial cult. Paul was different, and the difference mattered because he was modeling the Christ life. He hadn't just done it in Corinth. This was how he lived and taught everywhere. And that's why he was going to send Timothy to remind him. Power that is based on those first three forms, power based on something less than spiritual authority, inevitably succumbs to corruption. Titles will give us big heads. Education will convince us that we're experts and that we're superior to everyone who doesn't know as much as we do. 
Even relational authority is this place that we will succumb to the temptation to manipulate one another emotionally to get what we want. But it's only when we operate out of true spiritual authority that is hard won in the crucible of pain and compassion, it's only in that place that we can actually exercise power for people instead of over them. And the world desperately longs to see a church that operates out of spiritual authority. The world is desperate to see some model of actual spiritual authority. And this is the challenge that the church has faced for centuries now. It's faced the the challenge that, that basically from Constantine on, when the church and the state could be in partnership with one another, the, the church has not always, in fact, often chosen not to operate out of spiritual authority, out of the low road, the way of the cross, the way of suffering, but instead has begun to mirror and mimic what the power structures of the world around it looked like. And so, the church embraced the hierarchical, autocratic model of kings and queens and created a mirror structure of popes and archbishops. And then when culture changed and democracy began to hold sway, churches adjusted to that. And suddenly the will of God would be known and understood through a vote of the people. And so, we have the, and so we have the congregationalist model or the representative model that we embrace today of Presbyterianism. And here in the United States, the growing influence of gatherings like the Willow Creek Leadership Conference and the, the, the volumes and volumes of leadership books and management books reveal to us how church life how American church life and American corporate life influence and reflect back on each other. And if you didn't know this, I just need you to understand it. As you're praying for the the new leadership that God is going to bring to Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church, I need you to understand this. I have been as much held responsible to be the CEO of Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church as I have its pastor. And that expectation is something that we brought with us out of our corporate boardrooms. It's what we bring with us out of our educational situations. Not a bad thing. Understand me. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just naming it for what it is. But friends, let's pay attention. Do we believe that corporate America today operates out of spiritual authority? Do we believe that U.S. government operates out of spiritual authority? Do we believe that all those institutions from the ivory tower to Major League Baseball to the NFL to, oh gosh, okay, AYSO soccer, that all of these institutions at the end of the day have one purpose, and that is self-preservation. That is just to keep going. And here is the Apostle Paul reminding us that's not why the church exists. We do not exist to exist. We exist to exercise spiritual authority, to, as Micah called upon Israel to do, and that we are reminded to do. What does God require of you? To 
act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. In other words, to absolutely walk, turn your back on, all, on those three lesser forms of authority, what the puffed up people do, and to truly give yourself in love to the world. The hardest thing to remember about being a Christian who operates out of spiritual authority is that the way down is the way up. It, it is the scandal of the cross. You sang it. I heard you singing it. How the cross is the thing you want most. How the wealth, of, the wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than just to know his love. My heart is set on Christ. I will count all, these, all else as lost. The greatest of my crowns means nothing to me now, for I counted up the cost, and all my wealth is in the cross. Do you believe that? Because you all sang it. The way down is the way up. So last week I, I asked you to join me in this prayer. I said, let us pray, Holy Spirit, build this church the way God wants it to be built. Can I get an amen? So this week, here is our prayer. Lord Jesus, train this church to love and lead out of true spiritual authority. Can I get an amen for that? Let's pray. Yes, Lord Jesus, with all that is within us, that all that we can muster, even as we know that we don't really understand what we're asking when we pray this prayer, we do indeed pray that you, Lord Jesus, would train this church, chain us up individually and together to love and to lead only out of true spiritual authority. May those other forms of authority only enable us to grow in maturity so that we can truly love with a sacrificing love. Enable us to do that because we want to be of kingdom use to this world. We want to offer what only your church can offer. We want to model to the world what it's dying, literally dying to see. Authority that is based in and reflective of your way. Imitate you. That's what you've asked us to do, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to do so. Amen.